1: So they're not just comfortable and stylish; they're built to last. Plus, every single Borough order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at Borough.com/acast. That's 15% off at Borough.com/acast.
3: Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. The Premier League 22-23 comes to an end. And how? Well, not spectacularly, but some real tension at Goodison until Abdullah de barry barry-horned one into the back of the net. They held on and that was the relegation places decided. Leicester won, but it wasn't enough. Dean Smith, like Brendan Rodgers before him, not getting enough out of a talented squad, a real air of not really up for it, that often from Leicester. Big Sam's lead, wilted under the slightest pressure. He'll take his half a million for the one point he got and relax until March next year when someone, I don't know, Wolves panic and bring him back. We'll round up the rest. Villa get into Europe. Saints and Liverpool play a final day game in the true spirit, and even bigger than Brentford doing the double over Manchester City, a goal and a new contract for East pinnock barry is bouncing off the wall Susie rack joins us to talk about the end of the wsl season before you start yelling there's a playoff special tomorrow we'll agree with everyone about the broadcasting ability of jeff stelling answer your questions and that's today's guardian football weekly on the panel today barry glendenni welcome hi max hello jonathan for hello max And uh, is it still the all-new Barney Roney, or is just now the upbeat, positive Barney Ronnie is the default setting? Hi, Max. Perfect. Uh, Dylan says, I hope you're leading with Ethan Pinnock's new contract. If you don't mind, we'll start with the relegation places. Baz, we wanted drama. We wanted as it stands, tables going back and forth. We wanted grown men holding transistor radios. We did have one. Uh, We wanted children crying, and we got a bit of it but perhaps not the final day drama we were hoping for.
0: No, I'm I'm just wondering, are we going to do like Match of the Day and seg from a conversation about Leicester to a conversation about Leeds, then back to Leicester and over to Everton? Um, or will we deal with each one at a time? I think one
3: at a time, because I don't think we're good enough to do that.
0: No, we're not. Um, that's for sure. Uh, there was a lot of, quite a lot of drama. It was a good final day, I thought. And when the board went up at Goodison Park with 10 minutes on it, I mean, yeah. Christ <laughs> <on> my! <laughs> if I was an Everton fan, my heart would have just sank into my boots. But they held on. And I suppose they've won five games under Sean Dyche. Four of those were 1-0 home wins. And that's what he was brought in to do. He did it. I don't think Everton should be clapping themselves on the back for staying up. It's a relief for the fans. But it was very much... You know, they were the the least worst of the four teams that went down, but they're a mess. That club is a mess. And as, as Dice said afterwards, this should never be allowed to happen again to a club like Everton. But um, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, Leeds were pathetic. They didn't bring anything to the, the final day party. And they have been pretty pathetic. I think they've got worse under Allardyce, if anything. And Leicester did their bit but it wasn't enough because Everton hung on. So, yeah, I think the board going up at Goodison with 10 minutes on it at, at just before the end of the 90 was, was probably the highlight of the day for me. Apart from Ethan Pinnock's goal, obviously.
3: <laughs> of course. Wade says his 17th place, the new Everton Cup. I mean, Sean Dyche says this should never happen again to a team like Everton, Jonathan, but it seems like it happens to Everton all the time.
4: Yeah, it will most likely happen to Everton again, possibly even in a year's time. Uh, whether Sean Dyche will be there or not, not sure. I mean, he's done enough to keep his job, hasn't he? he you know, he's, he's got the wins needed, 15, well, five wins, um, which is pretty good, obviously better than the previous manager who um, didn't manage to, I think i got four wins maybe in, in much less amount of games. Um, so yeah, they've done they've done fairly well. There's obviously the situation with the FFP charges and I think, I don't know if that's going to continue and rumble on with uh, the rival clubs wanting it to be fast-tracked and any sort of punishment that, the premier league charge against them for that FF, ffp shenanigans so i don't know if it's kind of like a watch this space and we'll see what happens from there but yeah everton just seem to have found this comfortable sweet spot of teasing everybody for a 99% of a season and then just getting out of it on the final day i mean there's been at least three or four times in the last 20 years that they've done it and they've done it again so maybe they maybe they're feeling comfortable in that sense it, it would it still feels weird to think of everton in the championship so yeah, they, they've they've done pretty well. Um, I agree with, with Barry on Leeds; like they they haven't really offered much at all, and um, it's a bit of a drab relegation for them. I suppose the big surprise was Leicester, um, in the sense of like nobody would have predicted it at the start of the season, and, and they've done so well to that point um, in the past few years. So that's yeah, it's sad to see them go, but um, yeah, pleased for Everton in the sense of having that final a great escape again
3: feels like an uncomfortable sweet spot rather than a, a comfortable sweet spot so so Barney do we
5: we conclude that Sean Dice was a good idea yeah hang on we are we are cutting between the narratives here I I'm not I'm not that comfortable with that I I know we are yeah well I I I, I know it's not the, the panel are more talented than I gave them credit well for. I feel and I don't, I don't like it when the match of the day editors do that I think it's um it's like Charlie you know Kaufman Brothers film can do that I can't do it. It's very hard to keep all these narratives spinning at the same. I wish they'd just go, Linny, I just want one match, then another match, then another match. <laughs> it's too confusing. But, I, I mean, I, it's hard not to, um, you know. Are you, um, all these things seem to be happening at the same time. I knew Everton would escape when I heard Sean Dyche say, at the end of the day, it's Everton Football Club. And when you say things like that, that works. It does work. It's football. It's simple. Just simple messages, just num- just names said in a sombre voice. It works. And there's something about Leicester that just... Um, they're like this... Um, I was there yesterday, um, and they're just... It's ridiculous that they're being relegated. Well, it's not ridiculous. They haven't been good enough. They lost 22 games. Of course, they're being relegated. But it's like they're being relegated because they just forgot not to be relegated. They There was something they had to do, and they just didn't bother doing it enough. It's just been such a season of drift, and the players are too good. They scored the kind of goal that uh, a relegated team doesn't score. Like You score some wild, panicky, bundle it in from a set piece. You don't score a brilliantly staged little move with slick passing, lovely finish. That was a top six goal, which arguably they, they could be. I did have a crying child, though, and there was a crying sort of child scenario just in front did, of us. Did you do it, Parnie? Uh, yeah, was it I, because, I was because sort of, of you, no. jabbing it really hard with my elbow and eventually. <laughs> No, they they were just in front of the press box, and at the end when it was announced, there were there were like nine minutes of injury time from Goodison. So everyone's following both games, and the the dad of this crying child who was holding it was very touching, sort holding the child. He looked at me, he said, "Mouth, kind of, is it over yet?" And I was saying no, it's, it's not, it's not, you know, I'm sorry. And I looked to the kid and I, was, I said, I get sad, Faith, don't worry, come on, it'll be okay. Trying to look, I didn't want to inspire hope, which is obviously a danger. If you know me, that's a danger. Yeah. But I also didn't want to <laughs> Didn't want to be too down. And and so that happened and then it happened again. And then by the time we got to about eight minutes, I really wanted them to go away and stop looking at me, asking me to inspire hope in them. And the dad kept looking up. It, it's eight, it's nine minutes, it got to 10 minutes of me still trying to make sim- But My face really hurt. From making sympathetic faces, I just wanted him to cry and just get on with it by that stage because we had a deadline. Um, but it was um, it was it was very. It, it, I mean, the Leicester story is yet to be told. I think there's probably a whole load of stuff to do with what happened in the sort of dog days of Brendan that will come out. But it does say it do, it does show what strange league it is, um, and uh, uh, the fact that beating Bournemouth, Everton beat Bournemouth, is the reason why you go down is a very kind of weird outcome for them. I would say, well done Bournemouth as well, because I I kind of thought they were going to... They were definitely gone at the start of the season. Instead, they get to reign over it as overdogs, um, deciding who does go down. So congratulations to them. Uh,
3: yeah. Uh, Gary O'Neill, I think everybody wrote him off and he has done uh, incredibly well. Uh, Sean Dyche got 21 points from 18 games. Frank Lampard got 15 points in 20 games. Not, not really been a great season for Lampard. Barry um but, but I should focus a bit on I know you're all going around the narratives I'm still on Everton I'll keep asking those questions <laughs> you can do what you like um the the goal was wonderful
0: it was yeah um, and you you said that um Abdullah Decoery Barry Horns the the ball into the net it wasn't quite as spectacular as Barry Horns who he, he roofed it back in the day but Everton do have this sort of tradition of Last day screamers keeping them up. Apart from the one, um, Hans Sagers threw into his own net, which uh, Ian Wright sort of alluded to <laughs> on match of the day last night. And what a goal! What a you know to keep his cool and and score with that stunning shot on the volley. In such a an important game, uh, Mark Travers in goal for Bournemouth didn't move. Like just looked, turned his head to watch the ball fizzing past him. That was enough to keep Everton up. If they ha- if he hadn't scored it, they'd have gone down. I'm pretty sure, because uh, their goal difference was was inferior to Leicester's. You know, Bournemouth were trying. People were were suggesting they mightn't bother, but you know if you're footballers want to play football and if you're playing under no pressure against a team who are you know hugely burdened with with mental pressure you're going to be relaxed and if you're relaxed you're going to play well so um you know hats off to Bournemouth who who were trying and Pickford for to to make an important save in in the 10 minutes of added time so um you know Their fans are understandably delighted, but they're also angry, and they were chanting after the game that, you know, despite the relief, they they still want the board gone.
3: Hmm. And they've haven't been to a game since January, have they? I mean, Sean Dyche. Interesting, Jonathan. There were talk about you know Everton looking for his replacement already, but I tend to I'm minded to agree with you that he's of earned the right to have a go and a full pre season. I was on Five Live. Stephen Warnock was saying about pre season, not under Dyche, but just. About pre-season, he said, I expected to be sick every day. So that sounds really, that's bleak, isn't it? Like That's a bleak pre-season for Stephen Ward. Under diet, he says, that's what will happen. But how much, you know, how much churn do you think they need at Everton? Like, have they, have they got, what have they got at the moment? A team that's good enough for 17th or should they be 13th? Or, you know, is it are they good enough for the halcyon days of seventh in the Everton Cup?
4: Apart from the fact that they haven't, no striker whatsoever really, apart from Calvin Lewin, who's obviously injured most of the season and Sims is, you know, emerging but not maybe proven at that level yet. Um and obviously Neil Mulpaper, but he's doesn't seem to have had much uh, doesn't seem to have been selected much by either manager. Yeah, I think they, they, the squad isn't terrible. You you wouldn't really put them as I don't think bottom four, bottom three, bottom four. I mean Abdoulaye Dekoure, you mentioned him him there, for example. He he didn't start Lampard's last eighteen league games as a manager and as soon as sort of, Simon came in he's given him pretty much a starting role and he's repaid him he scored quite a few important goals um and of course the winner in in the final game of the season so you do wonder exactly what the previous manager was doing with the squad in general um which didn't help so i think that's an issue recruitment they're going to have to really get right but again it goes back to the the ffp issue they have and do they actually have the money to to sort of do the surgery that's needed um so yeah, I mean, even even replacing Cavaloon, were he to leave, is going to be pretty expensive. So that, that's the side of it. I think that with this new stadium coming in as well, that's the side of it I think would worry Everton fans. How are they actually going to recruit well enough? But the makings of the squad isn't too bad. You, you know, you've got Anana, you've got DiCaro, you've got good in midfield, and then you've you know you've got the base of an okay defense. So I mean, whether I don't know if Pickford, Pickford will stay seems like fairly comfortable there. I wonder if he could maybe um, go go a bit higher and maybe go to a, um, a club challenging for more interesting prizes. But all in all, I think the the, the base is there. Sean Dice obviously will have them puking their guts up uh, every day for the next few months. And then they should look to be mid-table next season, I'd say. But I think the the real issue they have is, is, is that recruitment part of it. And obviously just with the, the board and the, the dissatisfaction with the fans and the board, there's obviously a real breakdown between that you know, those two elements of the club. And until that's resolved, it's probably still going to be dicey for them, isn't
3: it? I look forward to Alex Awobi and uh, uh, Connor Cody dry retching on week three of pre-season. Um, uh, Kieran Maguire saying, Leicester City are relegated with the highest wage bill, most expensive squad in Premier League history. So many players out of contracts, Tielemans, Amartis, Sionchu, Mendy, Johnny Evans, and so many players, Barney, who just knew they weren't going to be there next season seems it seems silly, that, doesn't it?
5: Yeah, it's, it's really poor management. You reach a critical mass where uh, yeah, you've got nine players out of contract or leaving. Uh, it's human nature that um, that's going to kind of become the um, sort of collective... There's no such thing as collective consciousness, but the collective consciousness of that squad. Um, and, you know, I'm told by people who watch Leicester a lot that Tielemans, for example, did actually play quite well this season. And uh, clearly Madison's played well. And it, you kind of run through them and everyone seems to have played well. Harvey Barnes has played well. And they're all good players. Like How, how has this happened? There's a, it's a really interesting study in a kind of strangely sickly sporting culture where just a tiny bit more desperation. I think probably allowing Brendan Rodgers to stay for quite so long was a real mistake. That just created this kind of anti-energy in the middle of the season where they just drifted. Let's still won at 1.14 league games in a row, which is a third of all the points you need to stay up. And that was in about four weeks. How can you do that in autumn and still get relegated with all those players who will win you a game at some point? It's just incredible. There was They, didn't win, they won one in 15 games towards the end and then just won their last one because they needed to. It's really shameful and really, I mean, the players did a kind of slightly baleful lap of honour at the end, well, not lap of honour, they applauded the fans for their support, but they they should be asking themselves, how have we let this happen? Because people at the club now, as everyone says, and it's a cliche, but it's true, now lose their jobs, it's really bad for the city, it's bad culturally for Leicester to miss out on this kind of um, headline economy, and uh, it's just very sad that that's been allowed to happen. But you have to remember that Leicester have given us incredible content over the last seven years. It has been amazing. All the things that have happened at that club, from Nigel Pearson to Nigel Pearson sacking. Nigel Pearson um, kills wild dogs in Romania. St- dodgy videos, um, his sacking, winning the league. Ranieri was only there for a year and a half, uh, the Bocelli stuff. Um, the career of Jamie Vardy, Wagatha Christie. You know, Leicester has just been a content factory. They've had Kante, Mares. you know, they've had uh, Premier League Players of the Year there. Uh, They've sold Harry Maguire for 90 million. Um, They won the FA Cup. It's just, I mean, I think what really killed them was COVID. If you've got a business, a club and an owner, which is built around duty-free and duty-free stops uh, for two years, that's a bit of a problem. And they're really reliant on the stadium incomes and the stuff they've done there. So that... That was a really big deal for them, but they—it's been an extraordinary seven years. The story of Leicester is a—I mean, you know—a very sad element. The, the 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 owner died outside the stadium in a helicopter crash. I mean, I know that it's very hard to speak about that because it's such a horrific incident, but it's also absolutely crazy. Um, it's it's been an amazing seven years, and, and that's now over. Leicester will have to reconfigure the whole club. You—they can't carry on as they were, and like, as Jonathan says. Um, financial problems, uh, they're going to have to really strip it back to basics if they want to survive in the championship.
3: For the record, producer Joel notes that he's not sure that Nigel Pearson killed the dogs, just fought them off in the, the mountains of Romania, was it? Uh, Jim says, after Gary Lincoln presented match of the day in his pants when Leicester won the title, should he have worn all his clothes <laughs> last night? show? <laughs> this is an excellent question. Uh, Dan says, thoughts on the return of actual radios to the stands? It was, did you think that guy bought a transistor radio just so he would get on telly because we want the idea of nobody nobody walks
0: around with a radio now do they i mean
3: i mean he did
0: a lot of people in brixton walk and cycle around with massive speakers oh, yeah. That's glaring really music out and uh-huh. it's very inconsiderate you know you, you surely really heard of the headphone or the earpod. pod the, the radio is actually um
5: good though um there were lots of fake there was fake news at the stadium they were repeated it kept they get, kept getting these kind of forest fires from one end where someone you know the internet's full of lies i don't know if you know this but the internet's full of lies misinformation insults um and sort of Barry tweeting things. But it that, so news would spread of a goal um, and it would cut around the stadium and people would come to the press box and go, what's going on? Has it really happened? And you give them a sort of blank look. So the guy with the radio, old media, um, was actually, um, you know, uh, the, it makes a lot more sense. Presumably he had Alan Green on that transistor radio. <laughs> Alan Green from 1996. There was that great
3: call to Danny Baker of a guy who said he would make up the results record them on a dictaphone and as he left the ground just play them out. So people around him sort of back in the day would just be hearing these results that were completely invented and he'd just do it every week. So people would just think that Nottingham Forest had won and Northampton had drawn and we'd get home and go, oh, that wasn't the result. Um, quite enjoyed that. Um, Leeds won Spurs 4 then. Georgia says, Leeds absolutely deserve to be relegated, particularly given the fireworks they set off last night to try and wake up the Spurs players in the city centre. Woke me up. At three thirty AM, Jonathan, the the worst defence in the Premier League. A big Sam, one point, half a million pounds. I can't get over he gets half a million pounds for one point, and and I think like I think Barry mentioned it. They appear to have got worse since he got there.
4: Yeah, that is an incredible um, finesse, if you if you know the term finesse. But yeah, like he they he just basically has a high paid internship uh, for a month and <laughs> has got very well paid. I just feel like he. Uh, he had a bit of a, a detached air uh, to himself around that whole time at Leeds really kind of, and that's kind of part of the risk of taking on managers so late in the season. It's like they have already the ready-made excuse. It's not really on their watch in a way. They, they've got that kind of ability to detach themselves from it and say, well, you know, gave it a go. Um, you know, similar to Dean Smith, of course, I know he had longer, but d- will it go on their CV in terms of relegation? Like they can, they've, so, there's mitigating factors that they can say, well, it was, it was already too late. We were already down. And, I think that's probably the way that Sam... Allardous... It's quite hard
3: to hide it, isn't it? It's quite hard for it's quite hard for him to go, Piers you didn't do anything last season. I could have sworn, you know, the owner of, I don't know, Nottingham Forest going, I could have sworn you did something, Sam. Nope, not on my CV. Like like my further maths A-level just disappeared from my CV. But in
4: a, in a year's time, will people remember that he was even there? I mean, think about every team he played, he'd pretty much managed, I think, at one point, And it was like, oh yeah, he's managed West Ham. Oh yeah, he's managed Everton. Oh yeah, he's managed <laughs> Newcastle. <laughs> um and it seems like that'll probably be the case with Leeds. Oh yeah, he managed Leeds. Um so listen, fair play, nice work if you can get it. And I am sure he did his best in terms of trying to motivate the squad, but that's kind of the issue, that it's it's almost too late for him to really even even any kind of methods he wants to instill, it's it's so late in the season. And I think it just kind of epitomizes where, where Leeds are really. it's it's just gone really, really badly wrong. Obviously, um Vitor Orta's left as well. There's talk about um, the, the, the the owners sort of moving on and, and, and maybe new owners coming in or new cash investment. So there's just real issues at Leeds. I think the, the, there was a massive disconnect from the fans from pretty much the moment Bielsa left, I think. And I, I'm pretty sure if you were to ask most Leeds fans that they would have taken relegation with Bielsa rather than this sort of last year of just drip, drip, drabbing, you know, just steady decline. Um, I just feel like a lot of Leeds fans still have that kind of post-traumatic stress of of, of like losing Bielsa because that was such a magical time for them. many, many fans say that that's the best Leeds they've ever seen. And they sort of traded it off to stay up for one more season. But then you've won it. But at what cost, if that makes sense? A lot of the recruitment has been poor as well. I mean, the signing of Ruta, the amount of money they paid for him to barely play him. I know he got, I think, an assist yesterday, but he, he you know, when you're in, when you need like someone to keep you up, basically in January, and you're spending kind of a, pro, a money on a project player, it just seems that there was a real kind of lack of joined up thinking that Leeds, really. That's ultimately cost them. It's a shame because I think they did bring a lot to the Premier League in terms of the atmosphere that they have. But you know, good luck in the Championship, I suppose.
5: The trick that BL supported was that Leeds never really had a big squad of Premier League level players. They never did. Um, They got there with championship players and those players will not now be signed by other Premier League clubs. Um, it, It was a real overachievement. And yes, they crashed a bit and fell apart at times, but... What he did was a real sort of spinning the plates kind of trick and, and it, it, it deserves a bit more credit. I did enjoy Spurs, by the way. Spurs are absolutely delighted. Do you see how delighted they were to win? Is the, the season has been a... To- Poro, did you see him after he scored his goal? I've never seen anyone so happy. Yeah. And they... Yeah, they cha- they chaired Lucas Moura off at the end like uh Tardelli. in the 1970 World Cup when he had conquered football. All of football had been conquered in that moment. This beautiful team <laughs> expressing something transcendent. And um, Spurs, after beating Leeds 4-1 at the end of a very disappointing season, did the same to Lucas Moura and everyone looked <laughs> incredibly happy. I mean, maybe they're just pleased the season's over, which uh, in that respect, you know, fair play to the lads.
3: Mm. It, feels, it was a lovely goal from Moura. It feels a bit late for That to kickstart his season, doesn't it? You know, he's got up and running in the 95th <laughs> minute of the final game. Feels to me, Barry, like so many players are waving goodbye. Does this happen at the end of every season? Is this a sort of, sort of modern phenomenon that, like, this just constant sort of has that always
0: happened? Am I sounding like an old man now? I think it has. I think just a lot of the players who are waving goodbye are very much sort of fan favourites or cult heroes. You know, Lucas Moura hasn't particularly excelled as a Spurs player, but there was the Ajax game, you know, so that's earned him his place in uh, Spurs folklore. See also Granite Xhaka, who's, you know, had his well-documented ups and downs uh, in his relationship with Arsenal fans and, Looked at one stage when I think what was the Crystal Palace game where he, where he removed his shirt and told them all to fuck off and stormed off down the tunnel. That looked like a unfixable break in their relationship, but he somehow managed to turn it around. And I mean, he's on a hat trick yesterday inside 15 minutes. The ball sits up lovely for him to score his hat trick, and he shins it wide. That that basically Granite Jack's Arsenal career in <laughs> micro, microcosm, right there. And who you know, if he had scored a hat trick, I think the roof would have been lifted off the stadium. So I think there have always been those kind of goodbyes and farewells, but these players have have a special kind of relationship with their their clubs and their clubs fans.
3: Yeah, 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 yeah. Milner and, and Firmino as well. Anyway, look, we'll talk,
1: about the, we'll talk about the rest of the games in part two. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy to assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at borough.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at borough.com slash ACAST.
3: Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. So, look, the only other thing um, up for grabs was who got into the Conference League, and Villa did it by beating Brighton 2-1. Um, uh, Brighton finished sixth and qualified for the Europa League as well Jimmy says can you phone Jordan Jarrett Brian remind him of when he said Villa were the only team with nothing to play for in April um, we have talked a lot about Emery's uh, you know achievement here Barney but it was 16th when he took over uh, they've had two wins in 11 you know we sort of mentioned that this hasn't been a great season for, for Lampard I don't know what it says about Gerard as well that Emery's come in and not invested a lot when well, they brought in a new left back I think then that's it and have been excellent.
5: Yeah. Um, Emery is one of the best managers in the world. Um, it, he, you know, it's it's kind of, he's underrated in this country because he had a difficult time following Arsene Wenger at Arsenal at a time when there was quite a lot of hostility towards him as well. And it, it just didn't really work out. Um, the crime of not speaking English fluently and stuff like that. Um, but he, he's he's a really, really good football manager. And that's why it's worked out there. And and Villa have some good players too. Um, uh, And that that feeling of momentum, it really puts into perspective the difference between having someone who really knows how to organise a team, who really understands what the opposition is trying to do and appointing what was essentially a kind of sentimental celebrity manager in in Steven Gerrard. You know, this is on a diff- different level completely. And uh, I, I hope um, that Villa can carry it on next season. You sometimes... You know, it's it's things change very quickly in football, um, and they're they're the team at the minute who really feel like they're they're going somewhere. But there's so much energy in that team, and they're so engaging to watch. Um, I really want him to to keep working with those players because you wonder what he might actually get out of some of them.
0: Villa have some very good players, and those very good players have got demonstrably better while since Unai Emery took over, Leon Bailey, Douglas Louise, Ollie Watkins, John McGinn have all been outstanding in the latter half of the season. And I suggested in a, a preview on Friday that there might be some Villa fans who would maybe prefer if they didn't qualify for the Conference League, just so that they could focus exclusively on the Premier League and see not have the Thursday-Sunday grind and and see if they could possibly knock on the door of Champions League qualification next season. Such has been their improvement under Emery. I got uh, monsters for suggesting that in the comment section, and I was clearly wrong because Aston Villa fans and players were beside themselves with delight yesterday when they discovered they qualified for the. Upon qualifying for the Conference League, and it's a tournament they could win next season because Unai Emery's European pedigree is is you know four Europa League wins, one loss in the final, so he knows how to do it.
3: Yeah, and interesting to see, you know, they've got money, how much they invest, and and also those players, you know, people like Jacob Ramsey have just improved immeasurably, haven't they? Um, to St Mary's, Jonathan, Southampton four, Liverpool four is exactly how final games of the season should go, isn't it?
4: Yeah, crazy game. Uh, Not really much riding on it So, you know, feel your boots I suppose from that point of view Like no, there wasn't really anything to, I don't really know what to say even about it Just for all <laughs> Both teams already knew their fate Uh Europa League for Liverpool, of course And relegation for Southampton I mean, I think this season I know I'm sort of changing the narrative A little bit back to Aston Villa here But you can. I think this season for me Has shown the value Well, not that you needed evidence of it But the value of having a good manager. Um, I remember reading about a year or so ago an article which suggested that, sort of very detailed article suggesting that you don't need a manager basically and clubs could just have be managerless and pretty much get along with it. I won't name where I read it but uh, quite a no- well-known publication. Um, not The Guardian by the way. That's just about No, but, but yeah uh, sort of, and the argument was made that essentially, statistically managers didn't really make a huge amount of difference and you, you didn't really need uh, a manager in place, and could you even maybe see a future where clubs are managerless and, and, and are just led by, I don't know who, but... A, a robot? AI? <laughs> yeah, possibly, yeah, it could be AI. Maybe Chat uh we'll... Who's the
3: most likely AI manager? I mean, if you...
2: Ruben Sellers, Silver. isn't yeah,
5: Ruben Sellers is just a piece of AI. He's a man. Yes, Ruben man, Sellers, good point. A man with clothes and a face. Yeah. And there
3: you are, and, and proved they came bottom. So it proves your argument. But
4: there. I think, yeah, but I think this season, obviously the you know likes of Lampard, Gerard, um other managers have just have shown that you know the difference between Gerard and, and Emery is is like night to day in, in terms of their, their their impacts on the club. Um for Southampton and Liverpool, yeah, it goes back to what Barney says about about Ruben Sellers. Obviously didn't have a great time there. I don't really, I don't really have much input on this game. I'm going to be honest. You I'm, don't have to. Um,
3: no, I think you make a very good point, and um, I look to reading that athletic article later.
4: I, <laughs> I think if um, I think I
0: remembered that article actually, uh, I, if I was a Southampton fan, I'd be slightly miffed by the fact that Camaldine Suleimane did nothing <laughs> since arriving in January, and then turned into Pelle yesterday when it was far too late. And you know, lovely backflips. We, we they'd have liked to see more of those. And Adam Armstrong as well. He scored yesterday, and it's like, well, you know, now, it's a bit late now, but um, yeah, very entertaining game. I I wonder now. Um, Theo Walcott is leaving. Where does Theo Walcott go now? And James Ward-Prowse would probably go. Where does James Ward-Prowse go now? I, I I can't really see. Where they'd fit now? How,
5: how old is Walcott now? Is he tw- 18, 19? <laughs> Surely Walcott goes back to
3: his, uh, you know, boyhood club of Southampton, and <laughs> Ward Prowse goes to Spurs, and it just doesn't quite work out, and he doesn't score a free kick for six months. That would be my, that would be my prediction. Uh, yeah, Russell Martin coming in to be Southampton's manager. He knows the championship, doesn't he? Um, did anyone see Mo Salah's apology on Twitter? I'm totally devastated. He said, there's absolutely no excuse for this. We had everything we needed to make it to next year's Champions League and we failed. We are Liverpool and qualifying to the competition is the bare minimum. I am sorry, but it's too soon for an uplifting or optimistic post. We let you and ourselves down. So there you are. I mean, fifth after how they start isn't too bad, isn't it? Uh, Here we go. London left says, how soon into the show can we get the obligatory five minutes on Ethan Pinnock? Fraser, what do you think of Ethan Pinnock's finest hour, Barry? Tom says, Barry must be on cloud nine with Ethan Pinnock's new four-year deal and his winning goal. Of course, it was Ethan Pinnock. According to whoscored.com, Barry. Uh, No centre-back has earned a better who-scored rating than Ethan Pinnock in the Premier League this season. He gets a 7.05. I don't really know what that means. You must be delighted,
0: Barry. I am. I like Ethan Pinnock. is a very good defender in a very good team. Uh, Thomas Frank obviously adores him because he plays every game. He's got a four-year deal. And, you know, you mock me for saying he should have got all the season for that tap-in. It was, came at the end of a very well-executed free kick off the training ground, as you well know, but tend to forget to mention. And I noticed that in the goal of the season, uh, contenders are match of the day. One of them was a Jacob Murphy tapping. in um, So, uh, you know.
3: I have a real issue with that. I have a huge issue with that, in that the pass from Alexander Isak hits a defender on the way to Jacob Murphy. And, and I think that therefore is not a, you know, that, that basically the, the run is amazing, but you can't have a, you can't have a move where a defender touches it if it's a move. To qualify for goal of the month, if you and I, yeah, it's not an anti Newcastle bias, it's just how I feel strongly about that.
0: Well, with the, the famous Ethan Pinnock goal against Liverpool, it was Pontus Janssen who was supposed to finish the move, but he had a complete fresh air kick, and Pinnock just happened to be at the far post
3: mm. again. A problem, a problem in a quality of a goal. Um, you agree, Barney?
0: Yeah, but are, you, are you one of these long shot people? I don't
5: think no, long no. shots should have, have No, I'm not. In. Oh, look, he's kicked it from really far out and it's gone in. Is that what you want?
3: No, I'm not a is long shot person. Is that what you want, Max? <laughs> well, I like, like, there's a certain level of long shot, which is, you know, which has merit. You know, a you for Oh, it's hit example. the bar
5: and bounce down. Is yeah. that what you want, No, well, I do Max? like that, is that what I like, you want?
3: <laughs> yes, but I also like a passing move, but you can't, if it touches a defender during the move, then it's sort of null and void, still allowed to be a goal but
5: yeah is it i suppose i mean other players exist on the pitch but the danger of touching a defender with your pass is often factored into how you mm, play the pass maybe
3: maybe no? maybe you're giving them too much credit <laughs> i think it's like a, it's like a well, solo goal right it's like it's like maradona v england if if i don't know one of those hapless defenders had sort of almost tackled him and it had come back to him it takes away from the goal the fact that he keeps
5: the ball away from the players the whole time
3: makes a difference. I had a
5: conspiracy theory for years that that was actually a Terry Butcher own goal because ah. if you look, he does slide yeah, he does, in, yeah. and it might be he he may actually kick Maradona's foot onto the ball. Does that take? Has that ruined the goal for you? Are you now saying it's
3: yeah. you
5: bit. know, last night on Match of the Day, I saw something that it rocked me to the core. Wow. Okay. It was it was an, I I felt that I was woken I was woke in that moment. I was one of the sheeple previously and then in that moment I open my eyes and that moment was Alan Shearer looking into the camera and angrily saying that the entire system is geared against mobility it's designed to keep people down Alan Shearer said that and I know what he's referring to and when I hear you talking like this about you know the, the goals that you don't you don't deem worthy I think that Alan Shearer might be right I think you're you're showing the same kind right. of bias, the kind of bias <laughs> that stops bloodthirsty multi-billionaire regimes from simply buying whatever they want. I'm I'm feeling here in this uh, podcast. Wow. guilty as charged. Um, yeah, uh, Sheer Shearer's at home nodding. He's nodding, saying yes. Yeah. More well, he'll probably write me a, he'll probably write
3: me a letter saying how much he loves me now after this. <laughs>
5: he's, he's really drunk the kool-aid hasn't he he's um he's really bought into it you know good for good for him you know the, the thing about that
3: letter when he said um i had to dread going into work some mild ribbing from gary lineker and ian wright the two nicest people in the world like that's that can't be dread can it anyway the latest on ivan tony um uh, repeatedly placed bets on matches it's his own team were involved in, including 13 occasions when he backed his club to lose and gave clearly false answers to the investigation into his breaches of gambling rules, an independent regulatory commission has found. The commission concluded he tried to conceal his betting using third parties and their betting accounts in case there was ever an investigation rejected his claim that he'd wanted to conceal his betting only from his parents um, He wasn't actually playing in those games, for most of those games he was on loan somewhere else and for the ones at Wigan he wasn't part of the matchday squad On Friday, Ivan Tony tweeted, I'll speak soon with no filter. Barry, we were mainly sympathetic towards him when the the judgment was announced. Has that changed now we've heard this? Uh,
0: Not for me. I still have sympathy with him. Uh, He's apparently been diagnosed with a gambling addiction, and that's a terrible, terrible thing to have. Uh, And I hope he can put it behind him with proper help For me, the most chilling thing in those findings was the revelation that he no longer bets on football, but still bets on other sports and sort of online casino games. And that, you know, he clearly has a problem, if that's the case. And uh, I I hope he gets the help he needs. And I'm not sure ostracizing him from his training ground and his teammates and his daily routine is the best way to help him but that's the punishment he has for the next four months and I hope Brentford support him the independent panel wrote that Tony had agreed to get help for his addiction and
3: had shown genuine contrition for his rule breaking um Arsenal beat rules 5-0 uh, we sort of covered the the Jacker story um uh Ar- Arsenal 12 points off Better off than they were last season. They'll be in the Champions League for the first time since 2016. 17, uh, Chelsea and Newcastle drew one apiece. Um, Pochettino is in, Jonathan. What does he have to do?
4: He has to do a lot. Uh, how long do you have to <laughs> evaluate what he has about to do? two minutes. Two minutes, All right. He has to probably get rid of about 12 players. He has to resist the uh, ownership's. Lust for new signings in the summer that will inevitably come. They've already signed some of the players that are playing in sort of youth, very youth tournaments at the moment. Uh, I, think, I believe it's Kendry, Kendry Pyers, I believe. Um, a 15-year-old uh, for multi-millions. So they're already bringing in players um, for next season. Although I'm, I'm not sure when he, I think he joins, maybe when he turns 17 or 18. So it could even be a few years, before he even signs, but they are still buying. The thing with the football in terms of season to season is sometimes it's... it's it's not as bad as you think it is, if that makes sense. And you've seen teams have disaster seasons, like for example, Manchester United last season, where, um, you know, when they started the season and lost 4-0 to Brentford, there was that feeling like, could they end up 15? Is this, how bad could this get? And then it turns around very quickly. And I, f- I feel like that, that might be some something that could happen to Chelsea next season. You could see them with no Europe, having uh, weeks to co- concentrate and implement Pochettino's ideas. I could see them sort of challenging um, for the Champions League again, but, I think there was an out- announcement maybe that Todd Bowley might step back a little bit and take a, only dedicate 20% of his working commitments to Chelsea, is what I read. Um, so if that was to happen, I suppose that could maybe free up, you know, maybe maybe make things a little bit calmer. But yeah, it's hard to really know where, where Chelsea will go from here. I still think they're going to recruit players. And and the sad thing, I suppose, from that point of view, is they've got arguably the best academy, if not in, in England and in Europe, and it seems like the majority of the players they're going to lose are their academy players. Loftus Cheek, um, Hudson Odoi seems like he's moving on. Mason Mount is a main target for a lot of clubs, and so it, it just feels like a little bit. I think I think from the fans' point of view, the whole thing that attracted them in the whole first Lampard era, wasn't it, was that they he because they had that transfer ban, he had to play a lot of those those young young players, um, the likes of Tamori as well, who have who have gone on. So Tommy Abraham, so just feels like that kind of era of Chelsea bringing through those players is kind of becoming more challenging. But then again, they do have Lewis Hall, who's who's looked really good in the last few games. So yeah, watch this space, but I, it's probably never quite as bad as it feels, if that makes sense. So I do think they'll be a, a better next season.
3: Barney, what do you expect Newcastle to do this summer?
5: <laughs> um, they'll spend a lot of money, but not not stupid amounts of money. Um, I mean, it has to be said um, that, that they're... The transformation has been amazing. Um, you know, Eddie Howe is clearly... He's done a brilliant job. He's—he's—he's he's he's, The coaching's been fantastic. He's improved players. It's, you know, it's one of the things about a club like that. Those players are, are playing to... They're in competition with the players who have yet to arrive. They're desperate to be a part of that. There are people who want their spot who haven't been signed yet. And if you're a professional in any any role, you want to be a part of that. There's so much motivation there. There's such a kind of it's one of the overlooked aspects of the nation state club thing is it's not it's not about just throwing money at things it's the kind of coherence is the fact that you're essentially backed by bottomless guarantees that you're never going out on a limb you're not making impossible stupid decisions based on the egotism of one person it's all very solid you're backed by something that's you know it, it reminds me a little bit of um well just just being sort of born into a wealthy family you you can make decisions that that kind of um, you know have no real repercussions. And the stability is a huge thing. Uh, and I, I don't know, I, I wonder if they will upset that process if they sign wildly, if they sign Neymar, if they uh, sign half of the Leicester team. I, I wonder if what he's done so far, just very carefully adding to that team, is the right process. I mean, it's very hard to divorce. Um, you know, you can divorce. If you've seen with Man City, you can divorce enjoying the team and the process. And people doing their jobs really well from the fact that this is essentially a nation-state PR mission designed to um, polish the image of a, a, a country that you might not otherwise feel that comfortable about. So I hope that they continue doing it in a good way because they're great fun to watch. Newcastle supporters and indeed Alan Shearer seem to think that the the system is weighted against them and people want them to fail. There was a lot of stuff about what an annoying team they've become under Howe because there's. Quite a lot of sort of tricks and gamesmanship and shithousery in there but it's not really true like i really like newcastle they're a really great club i love the fans one club city and it's really for the sport it is great to see them doing well um and i do wonder how they're doing in the champions league i think they could do really well this is the challenge facing the game. That's something Newcastle fans have to deal with. Sorry, I'm talking about that again, but I find it hard not to.
3: No, I I sort of echo all those sentiments. You sort of just wish it was a benevolent billionaire because it's great that someone has crashed the top four. Yeah, It's, someone, it's so great and it's great. Where that are all that the club, good billionaires? Yeah, where are, who, are they?
5: Where, where are the billionaires who made their money out of running a charity? Why don't those people That's a places? really
3: good idea. Uh, Gerald Linton's been called up to the Brazilian squad for the uh, first time. That is richly deserved. Uh, Manchester United beat Fulham 2-1 a um, uh, brilliant start for Fulham and then uh, Mitrovic missed a penalty which could have made a difference I mean if you can remember far enough back Baz for the first two games after they lost to Brighton and Brentford which is actually not as bad as it seemed at the time and John Bruins, they are shite they're not shite um, they're the third best side in the league because it doesn't lie, does
0: it? No, they're not shite uh, but there is quite a lot of obvious room for improvement uh, which is probably a good thing uh, if if you're a Manchester United fan and if you're Erik ten Hag, they've they've had some terrible results. They've had some very good results. They've he's top four finish and a trophy is is you know he's done his job this season. So I do see a lot of room for improvement in Manchester United, and I expect him to improve because Erik ten Hag clearly knows what he's doing and he's had to deal with off field issues. The way he handled the Cristiano Ronaldo thing was, was excellent, you know, perfect I don't see Harry Maguire having a future at Manchester United he's not a bad player but um, Ten Hag clearly doesn't rate him uh, and he's you know, he, he's not among the top three or four centre-backs at the club and uh, and was phased out, uh, so yeah, I'd I, I'd be happy with the season if I was a Manchester United fan because I think they will get better next season.
3: Uh, the other game uh, finished Palace 1, Forest 1. Um, uh, Cormac saying Chelsea finish in 12th, having held the position for so long. Did Palace bottle it uh, by coming 11th? But look, well done to uh, uh, Palace. The Roy Hodgson gamble worked at the Forest for staying up. Um, and we'll, of course, talk about all these teams when we preview the uh season in i don't know a couple of months time uh, tomorrow we're going to cover the three playoff finals so well done to luton and carlisle uh you probably know who's gone up between sheffield wednesday and Barnsley
0: from league one by now uh, but we'll do that tomorrow in part three we'll talk about the wsl just one thing max before we, we go to part three i just have in front of me my premier league table prediction from the start of the season and i got man city winning right yes
3: I got Man City winning, right? Um, we,
0: we don't need to say anything <laughs> ah, more about it. Well, I got,
3: I got of... Man City winning. I got Forest 16th and I got Aston Villa 7th. But as I've already established, I also had Aston Villa 9th because I completely forgot West Ham. <laughs> so I don't know if that counts as two points or three, but we'll do it again next season. Why not? And we'll be back in a second. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Susie Rack joins us. Hey, Susie. Hey, how you doing? Yeah, very good. So, look, Chelsea win the league uh, by two points from Manchester United. Uh, Arsenal-Man City slipped away towards the end of the season. It's kind of what we expected going into the last day. It was good that the title was still alive, but Chelsea were always going to beat Reading, weren't they?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think (laughs) it was like the likelihood of Reading beating Chelsea was sort of like 0.0 not 0- 4% or something like that it was I mean it's so so slim but then Reading have been known to cause an upset and I, you know, I was just sort of clinging on to this idea that, of how it, like this like dream of how incredible it would be if Reading denied Chelsea the title and managed to avoid relegation at the same time it just would have like I mean would have been a stunningly brilliant um End of the season. Instead, it was like almost quite muted in a way because you know it's Chelsea win again is sort of the narrative, fourth tight win in a row, third t- double in a row, and it it almost speaks to a lack of competitiveness when actually it's been far more interesting than that suggests. Which uh, I guess is sort of the narrative we have to set in a way rather than the teams. But um yeah, it's been been fun.
3: Yeah, I mean, do you do you like Manchester United push them? Arsenal obviously had a lot of injuries, Manchester City slipped away, but but do you envisage this being sort of the future, that there will be four teams going for it? Obviously, Chelsea are the, will, are the best at the moment.
2: Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I think Chelsea looked very, very different this season. They had to win ugly a lot and dig quite deep at times, um, very reliant on Sam Kerr's goals, Guru right and stepped up. Penilla Harder and uh, Magda Ericsson started the last two games of the season and... Magda has played for a huge chunk of the season where perhaps she wasn't um, you know, necessarily intended to because um of Millie Bright's injury and Kadisha Buchanan not settling in quite as well as they hoped. They're both gone this uh, summer, they're both leaving, uh leave huge holes. I mean, Emma Hayes is recruiting really well, um, with Catherine Macario set to come in, um and Ashley Lawrence from PSG set to come in, but that takes time to <laughs> blood players in a little bit. I think it's going to be really interesting to see how they do ne- next season where they're sort of towards the peak of a period of transition. This was sort of like the start of it and everyone else is going to get better. I mean, Man- Manchester United getting Champions League football is going to transform uh, what they can do, um, who they can attract and will really push them on a, on a level. In Arsenal, all these players coming back from injury, there's talk that they're going to be recruiting quite well as well. And are going to look very strong City have said there's not going to be a huge amount of change this summer they um like had a huge overhaul last summer so there's it's very much about sort of consistency and things um and I think a lot of it may well come down to who comes out of the World Cup uh, most unscathed which could fall slightly in Arsenal's favour in that sense in that most of their players aren't going to the World Cup because they're injured um so yeah it's going to be good yeah
3: you talked about that the injuries and that specifically the ACL problem. Is it getting worse? Is it just being reported more? And is anyone kind of ahead of the game in terms of prevention?
2: No one is ahead of the game. It seems worse. I think it's getting reported more heavily. The fact that Arsenal have had four in one season and then a hangover one from last season. Taya Gold, a young player, did hers towards the end of last season. So he's out for the start of the season as well. So really, it's been, there's been five players hit with ACL injuries um, this season for Arsenal. Um, the fact that it's like such big names, I think, has caught the attention more. But there have the other teams have had this problem. Tottenham have had a few. Brighton have had a few. You know, quite a number of players have had uh, had more than one. Eva Mannion literally did one. knee, came back, did the other uh, within two games, um, and is only just back, sort of towards the the second half of this season. Really looking like a, the player that she was. So it's a persistent problem and it's like really like multifaceted um, because there's there's just so many factors. I mean, one of the things that is really interesting for me is that three of Arsenal's four big ACL injuries were done at the Emirates. And like, that's the better pitch, right? Um, So it makes you wonder whether the change between surfaces, Boreham Wood and the Emirates and their training ground has an impact, the type of boots people say could have an impact um you know most boots are designed for men's feet position as studs all that kind of thing is is very different um uh, needs to be very different for women's foot and isn't there's issues with um the biomechanics of um women's bodies uh, they move in slightly different ways the muscles are, like have slightly different dynamics between each other you know like slightly you know one is slightly more stronger than the other in a way that it's not in men and that imbalance means that you need to work on building up certain muscles that don't necessarily get built up because strength and conditioning coaches don't understand it so there's like a whole load of factors that contribute periods like people say that the menstrual cycle um, can have an impact but like all of that research is sort of done in some places is not necessarily shared, is not collated and brought together in any way. There's not been like a holistic approach uh, for the good of the game to the problem, which is is sort of what needs to happen. Someone like FIFA needs to sort of take it by the scruff of the neck and just bring all of the experts together across all of these different fields and go, right, how do we solve this problem? Because let's face it, the World Cup is going to be hugely inferior without a whole host of players at the tournament, which, you know, no Katarina Macario for... Uh, the. US Women's national team katoto's not recovered in time for France you've not got got not got Beth Mead you've not got Vivian Amiedema. uh, you've not got Leah Williamson um that's just yeah it, it's it's ruining big competitions and big games
3: sure yeah and, and like given the injuries for England like do you see Serena even making like I've heard people saying Steph Horton might come in might come back in do you see her making sort of interesting decisions
2: her track record says no um she's a she like is comes cross from her time in the Netherlands as like quite a stubborn manager, um, doesn't like to necessarily revert. And I mean, I think personally, I think Steph Orton burnt a lot of bridges when she did the radio interview where she, um, sort of really, you know, kind of criticized the decision to be left out, you know, talks about how desperate she was to get back in. It, it was almost like she was expecting to not get back in and then, and the opportunity not to come up. And then these whole host of injuries have meant that actually she probably would have had a chance, but I think she's maybe, you know, burnt burnt a few too many bridges with with some of the stuff she said recently. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think there could be some surprises, um, but I also think there could be some surprises the other way in that, you know, I think Beth England has had such a phenomenal season, should be in that squad um, is, came in in January and is already Spurs' top scorer of all time. Um, so it's uh, if what 14 goals, I think, she's got. And, uh, you know, Rachel Daly's got 22 and uh, Bunny Shaw's got 20 ahead of her and that's it. And yet she hasn't been picked for Serena's last two camps. And there's clearly... I, I just think if she, if, there, if she doesn't get picked for the World Cup, something has happened there that means there's been some kind of fallout um, because I just don't see how she can't be picked when England have been struggling for goals of late. But Serena doesn't like change. So it, it's it's a really, really difficult one to call. Um, and who am I to judge? Who am I to judge the the two time Euro back to back winning manager like and her decision making? I I like will reserve judgment until it all comes flying back in her face and then I will go aha uh, like some like great wizard uh, that had predicted it all along. When in reality we all know nothing.
3: Gully Women's Football Weekly is out tomorrow, of course, and congratulations on your, what did you win? What was the award, Susie?
2: Oh, it's a Sports Book of the Year award for like new women's sports writing, which was surprising and I was um, not prepared and was. Very much enjoying the free bar uh, which right. which, oh. uh, wow. which did not end particularly well
3: nobody has listen I'd say you're in good company looking at Barry and
2: <laughs> oh yeah winning, a,
3: winning awards and not being completely sober
0: when accepting them. Uh, uh Is that unfair, Barry? <laughs> no. Uh, when we won best radio show uh, two years ago at the FSA, it never even crossed my mind we would win. So I too had been enjoying the hospitality. <laughs> uh, and uh, well, I
3: was on Zoom. I was on Zoom just listening to Barry going, "Our show is rubbish. and You should all be ashamed of yourself." It was very funny.
2: It was magnificent. It yeah. was magnificent.
3: <laughs> anyway, Susie, thanks for coming on. As always, chat soon. Cheers, guys. Uh, Susie Rack, the Guardian Women's Football Correspondents. The Bundesliga was exciting. Dortmund didn't win the league. Archie's on tomorrow. We'll do that in detail as well. Also, like um, Bundesliga 2 was equally thrilling, actually. Uh, And finally, it was 25 years of Jeff Stelling. And uh, it was lovely. It was a big love in uh, some brilliant montages. And he was really, really brilliant at that job and ostensibly not an easy job in broadcasting. And, you know, he's just got one locked off camera, basically. And he's sort of, his ability to, like, talk to the viewers through that was totally sensational. So I doff my cap to Jeff Stelling. I don't know if any of you uh, would like a, to, to give him some more credit because everybody like lo- it. also very hard in his industry to be
0: loved universally. And I think Jeff is. Uh, yeah, there's not you don't hear anyone say a bad word about him. I- I I think I've met him once or twice, but I wouldn't claim to know him at all. But he's just brilliant at his job. A uh, very likable man. Does a lot of work for charity, which uh, he doesn't like to talk about, but seems to talk about a lot. Uh he's just a, a top bloke, and uh, that job he does is so difficult. Um, and he makes it look so easy. Uh so yeah, and good luck well. to him. And, uh... Barney, you look like you were
3: going to come and say something. but
0: Barney clearly hates Jeff Stelling, and so does Jonathan. Come on, Je- Barney, let us know about the real Jeff Stelling. <laughs> no,
5: no, he's exceptionally good at what he does. I mean, I was just thinking that um, I mean, I've got two teenage kids and Jeff Stelling is what he must be in his 70s. And they think Jeff Stelling is brilliant and that he's classic and that, oh, it's Jeff, you know, they... They immediately warmed him. And if he's on, it's like, oh, look, Jeff. And that's quite an achievement for an old guy who's basically yelling really quickly about football to have connected with two cynical teenage kids who like football. But uh, And he never seemed to be trying too hard to do that, just being very good and being massively interested in what you're doing. Uh, is something uh, obviously everyone on this call uh, could learn from. Hmm. Uh,
3: <laughs> 68, by the way, so you know it's not 70 yet, but you know, not far off. Anyway, uh, good luck with uh, whatever you do next, Jeff, and that'll do for today's pod. Uh, thank you, Jonathan. You're welcome. Thanks, Baz. You're welcome. Thank you, Barney.
5: Bye, everyone.
3: <laughs> really good, Barney. Well done. Football Weekly is produced by Joel Grover. Executive producer is Daniel Stevens.
4: This is the Guardian. I'm